Welcome to the Founders and Creators podcast, a series of interviews and discussions with founders, creators, and leaders from the tech industry in Milton Keynes and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by Protospace, an initiative to support, connect, and grow the tech community in Milton Keynes. On today's episode, we're speaking with Lewis North, founder and director of Method and Class, a software development agency focusing on designing, developing, and scaling progressive web applications and iPhone and Android apps. Lewis, um, could you tell us a bit about your background, both personal and professional? Yeah, let's start uh, professionally, probably. I started like doing web and digital projects and things way back when I was at university. Um, uh, actually, the first website I built was actually for our landlord at the time, uh, with a view to getting a reduced rate off of him <laughs> for rent, which I did. I, I think I got 200 pounds off or something for my rent for a couple of months, but um, uh, I built him a website and um, I used that as a way of getting into um, building websites and intranets actually for um, Lloyd's TSB. So I was, I was working in the Lloyd's TSB collections call center in the evenings whilst I was at uni and um, they needed an intranet building. So I told them that I could do it, which was probably way beyond my skill set at the time, having basically been building really rubbish websites in Flash um, and uh, blagged my way into this, this role at Lloyd's building intranets for them. And actually there I was trying to do trying to do them in flash even though the like the network administrator was like you can't use flash <laughs> so i just powered on anyway and did them in flash um but uh yeah so i started off working on that uh down there and had in the end i end, ended up having like three other developers working under me who also worked in the call center that we that were studying at uni and um we we used them in the evenings to um to build intranet uh, applications um, on, I think it was on SharePoint as well, actually, which was like front page um, and Flash and SharePoint. Um, and then I, because that was in Brighton, and um, I loved living in Brighton, and it, like it's a great, great city. But back then, I just couldn't find any um, web work. Um, so I left Brighton and started working for a company in um, Berkhamsted called Technic, which was a print company. But we built uh, digital asset management libraries for um, uh, Voxel and Panasonic, and all of this was to do with like managing high-res photographs. So we had, it, I mean, looking back now, what a money maker this must have been. So we we hosted the low-res photographs on these these portals, and then you could order them, and they burnt them onto a CD and sent you the high-reses at a cost. So they must have been making a fortune out of this thing. So all of the dealerships around the UK had to use this uh, voxel uh, image library that we built. And um, uh, so it was all, because they did a lot of retouching there as well and like color matching and stuff. So we we handled all of the high reses and then distributed them. Um, so I was working there for a couple of years and that was all right. Um, we were using FileMaker Pro. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of FileMaker Pro. Yeah. You really liked it. I thought it, back then it was quite cool. Like, because you could build these like standalone kiosks as well, so you could build like app applications with it, and then just send someone the app, and they could run it locally, and it had like a database inside it and stuff. It was quite cool, um, but it was like everything was based on query strings, and like fundamentally 
sequel injections pretty much <laughs> and uh, um uh so that was and we hosted it at at their office like on old max downstairs and stuff like that it's like crazy times you know 2002 or 2003 something like that um and then i left there um to set up on my own pretty much and um my first client was epson college which i'd got through a guy i met whilst working at technic actually who worked for a big branding agency called um, jkr jones knowles ritchie um and we did some cool stuff there as well actually like um the epson college website which that was when they changed to do co-education and they wanted to make a splash and they like a lot of these types of schools independent schools they were royal blue and really kind of sedate colors and things and they changed completely to be bright orange and it was like a they called it the orange peril i think because it was it was uh, a bit love or hate but it made a massive impact and that really got us going because we we started to do quite a few independent school websites as well off the back of that um and actually looking back at epsom we did some we did some really cool stuff with them they were they were quite a good client really because i'd say to them like i think we can do this um if we can do it we'll do it at a better rate for you but if we can't do it we'll just never talk about it again and you know uh, <laughs> so like we built them an app we didn't really know how to build apps back then and we built um iphone app for them um we didn't do an Android app, so we didn't know how to do it, but we, we built an iPhone app for them. Um, and we did stuff like augmented reality in it. Um, this is 2007, eight, like before AR kit and things, where we plotted um, coordinates around their grounds and then used the accelerometer and the compass to work out what you were pointing your phone at and then overlaid pins onto the, the camera view. So you could fire up the augmented reality and like point it at a building and a pin would appear and say, you know, this is the, the main hall and you could click on it and it give you a little modal pop-up of what's going on in there and like show you people singing and stuff. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a little bit flaky at times, but it, and, it, and actually it was drawing out of the content management system we built as well to like, so they could update it on the fly without having to do new builds of the app and stuff. But we got to do some really interesting things with them um but that kind of that the that sector the education sector then just got dominated by these like web design companies who that's all they do is these um school websites um and it just became to the point where we couldn't compete at all because they would go in with a monthly subscription fee for these things which was pretty low and you'd get you know conferences thrown in and all sorts and it just it blows out any you know, chance for us to go in there and build websites because we just can't compete with that sort of thing. Probably should have looked at our business model really and copied them, but you know, live and learn. Um, yeah, so from there we, like we've always been, we've always been quite a kind of dev heavy agency, I would say, method and class. We, we whilst we're, you know, we have Great, a great designer in Tom at the minute as well, and we do some nice design work. I would say we're probably more technical, kind of, you know, good at integrations and bolting together different systems to turn it into another system, or taking people's ideas and um, breaking them down into something that's a bit more manageable and um, can be created as well, maybe. So that's uh, like, and we're still doing that sort of stuff now. Um, 
you want to, do you want me to talk about any of the more recent stuff we've been doing or well i think i think that goes quite nicely into a question i was going to ask which was you know at what point with method and class did you start thinking about your own ventures has that been something you've kind of done on the side throughout the the yeah. of that company and then you know yeah. what was the point where you kind of thought hang on a minute i think there's an opportunity a business opportunity for this independent project and and kind of how yeah. do you how did you go about that as an agency yeah i've always wanted us to, to be a product company as well because i think that you, you know what it's like you guys having run agencies like always chasing the next project is, is hard work and i like like I would quite like and still would quite like us to develop into being a product company who does some client work that we cherry pick ideally. Um, we've had a number of goes at producing uh, uh, products over the years, some of which have been successful, some that haven't. Um, like I think the first one we built was probably Track Tutor. So, I'm quite into old classic cars and stuff, and I used to do a few track days as well. And um, there's, you can buy a manual on how to drive different circuits, big paper-based thing. In fact, I might even have it in here somewhere. But big, big paper-based thing that no one's going to lug around the, you know, in their car. So we thought oh, maybe we could turn this into an app. So we built uh, an app called Track Tutor, and we started off just with one track, which was the Nurburgring, and. Um, I, we, we put it into the app store. I think we might have used something like Nurburgring Training App as the title for the like the, the app. Um, and it, it was quite good. We were getting, you know, we were getting a lot of uh, abuse about it being a paid app and, you know, we wanted $2.99, I think it was back then, which was a ridiculous amount probably for people's stomach, uh, even more so now probably. Um, and that was going okay. We. We, I did. I did manage to get a cease and desist actually from the Nurburgring for using their brand, <laughs> which um, was uh, put the wind up me a little bit, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, we did that. Uh, it, it, it never really got to any point where it was making any money. Um, I, I think there's probably a, a theme here. I'm probably more of a, a starter than a finisher on some of these things. But um, uh, and then we built Yay or Nay is the next one, which this was early days of Instagram and there were quite a few kind of photo sharing apps as well at this point and we wanted to do one for doing polling um, and the idea was for businesses to use this to be able to post up uh, you know let, let, let's take a clothing company who wanted to put through like next year's line of jeans for example and they could post up various styles and get people to vote on which ones they liked and leave comments and stuff so a bit like you know you've got polls and things on instagram now um so this was yes 2010 11 maybe um and uh so yeah i mean you we, what we want to do is build a big back-end portal for it for um for the for the, op, the the people posting to be able to see the the results of these things and like use it for leveraging uh leveraging that data to make decisions on it um, and uh, so I had a friend who worked at Urban Outfitters and I pitched it to them. Uh, that went okay. Um, I think the other one was uh, Jamie Oliver. So we pitched it to their marketing department. And part of that was he'd been putting through front covers on Instagram saying which front cover should be used for our next feature. And he'd done it like a split 
photograph for example but ours you could like swipe left and right and then vote on it but like all the voting was blind as well until you voted you couldn't see the results of other people um so anyway i pitched it to jamie oliver's marketing department and they said oh we really like this but we don't want to build another social network we've already got you know 10 million followers on facebook and we want to leverage that so obviously we built our, our platform to you registered in our system and you know this is you would have had to have built all your your following up again which at that point we basically ran out of money because we just couldn't couldn't stomach developing on it anymore and we needed to do some client work to you know rebuild the coffers at that point so yeah that's those two and then that like like i said i've always fancied as building a product of our own um and that led us back into 2t at the in the um lockdown last year where we wanted to have another run at it we'd, we'd had a really good year and could and could afford it <laughs> um to, to put the dev team onto it so we we built that last year and we've we've been uh running various trials and at the minute we're, we're trying to find a good product market fit for it to be honest on um how it's going to work best for different sectors interesting so where did the original idea come from for 2t yeah, so the original, my original kind of idea with Tootie was, I, I, there's, a, there's a young homeless guy in Leighton Buzzard who's in the town a lot. And um, I got talking to him one day and, you know, we were just talking about money and where, where does his money come from and how's he surviving and that kind of thing. And he was telling me that he has like no income at all, doesn't get any benefits, anything. And um, he relies completely on the donations of the people in the town um and he what the bit that really struck home for me was he was saying one of his biggest outgoings is firewood because he he lives in a tent by the canal he needs dry wood to be able to um cook on and keep warm in the evenings and things so he's having to buy firewood from the garage every day to do that and it really that really kind of resonated with me that i you'd never have thought that's one of the biggest outgoings that these people have is to buy firewood um, and it got me thinking about how how could um how could you get money in an increasingly cashless society like i'm forever you know don't have any cash in my pocket to be able to actually give give anyone any money and um, it got me thinking about that and um perhaps using some kind of qr code system or like teaming up with you know like a, a disruptor bank like monzo to say could we get these guys bank cards like just you know like a charge card type scenario not a credit card in any way just where people can put money on it um so we started talking about that internally as a team and we kind of ran it like um we would a normal project uh, like a product development project so really digging into what is the product here and what you know how, how does it work what, um who's the market how do you monetize it? All of these sorts of things that, you know, you have to do for any kind of digital product. Um, and actually, as we unpacked it, we thought, actually, there's loads of applications here of, of how you could use a tool like this to be able to take cashless payments, which led us into um, hospitality sector and, you know, delivery riders and all the possible places where it would be great to be able to take a tip it, it, or take a cashless payment, a small payment. Um, charities, schools. We've done quite a bit of work with schools, um, particularly where you don't need hardware. So, like, you know, go, focusing on schools, 
let's say they're running a school fete and they've got three or four different stalls at this thing, they don't want like an iSettle machine at every stall because they've got to outlay for all of the hardware and they all need to be connected up to, you know, a Wi-Fi network or whatever or, or people's phones. Um, and actually, by using something like this, you're shifting that, like, the technology requirement onto the person paying because it's just on their phone. Um, so, yeah, we kind of... that That's how we've focused that product onto is it's a QR code-based system and you can scan it. You adjust the amount that you want to pay. We've just... We've capped it at £20 at the minute, so we're focusing on small payments. So it's a minimum £1 payment, maximum 20 Um and you just slide the amount up and down. And if you've got Apple Pay or Google Pay, it's 20 seconds to, to take a payment. Um, what we have tried to do is keep the product as lean as possible. So we've stripped out anything that we don't think is completely necessary right now. Um, you know, like a good example is like gift aid. I don't know if you've donated on anything where they have to gift aid. It's such a barrier to actually making the payment, particularly if they do it before you've got your credit card out or your, your your bank card out you just think oh forget this you know they want all my all my details so we, we haven't bothered with gift aid at the moment um actually as it goes there is now a web service you can use to speed that up so if people have already registered you can hit it to um uh uh get their gift aid details as well just to clarify is when you scan this qr code it opens up a page in the web browser on your mobile device mm. um, at that point that's when you select an amount mm. and then pay or, or android pay google pay to um to kind of take take the payment yeah yeah uh, that's right and then where does that money end up so it's uses stripe for the payment um so it sits with stripe for a day or two they reconcile it to us and then what we've said at the moment is just end of month we reconcile back to you a full amount of you've had all these tips so yeah. um we haven't bothered building an app for it at the moment and part of the reason being um we don't want another barrier. Like we don't want people to have to download an app to, to make the payment. Um, we are working on an app at the moment, which is more for the receivers than the, the people giving the money um, because they can then see, you know, that there's tips coming in and how much they're going to get at the end of the month, that kind of thing. Um, we'll probably put in there as well a, um, uh, a facility to scan the QR code, but, you know, it's built into most phones anyway. So it's, it's kind of, you know it's almost a moot point i guess on that but um it's an interesting space that, that where, where things are going now with this you know it's a barrier just to download an app now and really mm. people feel that and, and and apps you do download you know increasingly mm. just disappear off into the back of your device anyway so mm. it's not you know unless it's something you interact with on a daily basis it is something that's just going to be kind of forgotten about on a device um and that's where the the web and certainly things like qr codes work really really well mm. there's um there's the app clips now as well isn't there where you can kind of get yeah. to the app without actually having to download it and things can't you mm. um, so we might explore some of that as well but like right now really what what we're trying to do is prove the the concept and i think what we found so far is the businesses like the idea um we you know that there are there are lots of ways you can receive tips and cashless payments and things and you know we're not alone in this market um, uh, but they do like it, and e even ones where they already have a, a system in place, they like the idea of being able to still take a tip from somebody who walks off down the street with your uh, delicious croissant and coffee in their hand. We've, we've found that there's a lot of interest from the businesses in, in using it, 
what we've found in our trials, we ran some trials locally, just with like various businesses to see how it would work. And like, I tried it with our local kebab house, actually, which is a, which is a nice kebab house, uh, which I happen to frequent. Like when when I was talking to him about it, he was saying how many orders they get over a weekend, and you know it's a lot of orders that go through there on a Friday and Saturday night. And he said, "Yeah, I'll run a trial, no problem." So I furnished him with all the stickers to stick onto the the bags and onto the um, wrappers and things, and thought, you know, this will be it. We'll be off here. And like we're not. So what we've done, we're not we're not using analytics on the actual payment interface because we don't want to pop up. Um, cookie banners and things as soon as you arrive but we are just then recording scans of QR codes on the back end and uh, I thought you know this is going to fly with the um, uh, with the kebab shop and I think he had about four or five scans and some of them were like two in the morning which you know read into that what you will um, and no payments and I was so disheartened because I thought this is it's going to fly with these guys and it, it didn't and um, so we ran a few more trials, like trying out different stickers and stuff. And um, it still, we didn't get a lot of payments and things through it. So what we've what we've decided to do now is we're running a really focused um, trial in, in Bristol. So part of the reason we chose Bristol is they've got a really thriving, like independent food scene. Um, so we thought we can basically try and carpet bomb an area with as much um, like social media activity and physical activity as well to just try and generate awareness about like tipping your local businesses that have helped us in this lockdown climate and things so we're, we're running a campaign down there at the moment which is thank your local um, so we recruited a digital marketing agency who are in Bristol to, to help us with it so they're running the campaign for us down there because they're, they're you know their knowledge on the ground is much better than ours and um, so they're doing that and um, then I'm kind of following up behind to try and recruit some businesses. So we've we've got some that uh, we've just recruited last week, actually, which are quite significant in that area um, with a number of outlets as well, actually. So I'm really excited to see the impact that will have. Like, I, d I genuinely don't think recruiting the businesses is going to be a problem. It's just getting people accustomed to leaving a tip for a takeaway. Um, yeah, I guess we have that cultural thing over here. In America, mm -hmm. it would probably have a completely different yeah. uh, response. Mm -hmm. Totally different, isn't it, in the US? It's like, you go, you know, you, you get a beer, one beer from the bar, and it's kind of like the normal to, to tip, and it's just a different mm -hmm. culture here. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a chat today with a coffee shop, and she said, um, we, we had a jar on the bar, and we just didn't get any tips. Um, so, you know, there's some hesitancy about whether it's going to work for them or not but one of the beauties of what we've built is there's no we're not charging a subscription there's no setup fees it's just we'll create your qr code what i have been doing is sending people like you know a first batch of stickers to get them going which um uh we just pop, pop in the post to them and just trial it and see and if you start getting tips that's great um and if we ally that to our kind of wider campaign on social media but also we're running some massive like poster campaigns in that area as well um traditional poster campaigns to just sort of like a brand awareness thing so it'd be really interesting to see and it's a really good kind of um test bed to see whether that approach works and i think if, if it does then that's where we we you know look to scale that on a bigger um bigger scale across the country as well have you have you tried like any 
kind of physical AB testing on that. So giving, you know, maybe three different stickers to one place and seeing which performs best or anything around that. Could you still yeah. capture that off the back yeah, of Yeah, we can, yeah, yeah, we can. Um, like, we've got like a one-to-many relationship on QR codes, so you can create multiples per, per, um, per receiver. So like one of the pizza places that we've recruited in Bristol has got three outlets and they've got one each. So it'll collect different money for, for each one. But yes, you could run multiples as well. Like um, we've done quite a lot of um, tracking for the website activity and like, because we're using QR codes in the marketing and like in the demo flyers and things. Um, but because we made a conscious decision for the payment process, we didn't want to have analytics or any kind of front-end tracking on there. Um, we can't actually track that stuff. All we can track is that it's been scanned and whether it resulted in a payment or not. Um, so, but but to answer your question, yes, we could we could create additional QR codes, style them differently, that kind of thing. Could you? I'm not sure if you you can talk about it, but you, I know you were sort of you were saying you touched on like charities and stuff like that, and you mentioned to me before like you were speaking to um, like people about homeless, sort of from that aspect as well. Is it is that something <laughs> yeah. you still you're still keen to explore or you have explored? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a call with um, Shelter, um, so they have teamed up with HSBC to get bank accounts for um, homeless people. Um, no fixed abode, I think it's called. Um, and I had a call with them about it. Now, their their kind of stance on it was that they don't like, as a organisation, they don't have a fixed stance on um, giving money to homeless people, and it comes down to the regional territories. So, um, I think, like reading between the lines, it sounded a bit like they probably don't want to say give money to homeless people. Um, you know, they always say give them food or like, you know, other other things. Um, uh, firewood. So, firewood, yeah, firewood. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, they basically were a bit reluctant to say we would suggest that, you know, like I, I in my head, imagine this could be an amazing marriage made in heaven between HSBC, Tutti and homeless charities. But, um, yeah, they, they were a bit less forthcoming in, in recommending it, which is a bit disappointing. But yeah, I, I did try and get hold of the big issue as well, actually, but trying to get through their kind of call answering service is not the easiest to be quite honest. And it's like, how do you, you, you really, you need, an, you need an, uh, someone to put you forward, don't you, or recommend you to somebody within these organizations? Because that, you know, it'd work really well with um, big issue, wouldn't it? If you you could yeah. make a payment for your big issue with this as well. But, but there's, there's an element of, I think, in those situations, we would need to shorten the cycle of actually getting the money in their hand. Um, so it probably needs to be like an instant payment to them. I don't know, like there's three or four days for it to go through Stripe as well. So like, I don't know how you'll get around that other than having like the direct bank integration. But um, yeah, so if anyone has got any suggestions on how we can get into these places, I'm all ears. All right, I don't know, have you spoken with any... Um kind of food festivals food markets things like that um where there are a lot of retailers in one one yeah, dedicated space yeah i had a call with box park last week which is not really food market but it's you know it's dedicated kind of event and food space and um uh like it, it gets a bit complicated when you need to then disseminate the money 
like let's say it's tips on a wet bar um, they need a system in place to say well you worked this shift so you you know like we don't really want to, have to get involved in that side of it to be quite honest so it's a it's a it's a better fit for smaller organizations and places like box park are great because they're kind of temporary pop-up you know they're there for six months or whatever it may be and they're smaller so actually that's a really good fit so there's some potential hopefully there that they could recommend it to some of their tenants to use it as well mm -hmm. um, they, they are some of them are using other services but they're based on like um, a near field um, uh, operation so you know there's like a what are they called uh, a near field tappy thing on the bar that you tap to don't you know to, to leave a tip but what they're finding is in a busy time they don't want people at the bar trying to reach across to tap these things they want them to go away so they can serve the next person so mm. better fit actually to then have it you know like a uh, a device free or a hardware free way of doing it on the on a table afterwards so yeah. it, you know a coaster or something yeah interesting so yeah it's a, it's an ongoing thing at the minute like we we are getting some really good interest from it and we're getting great engagement through instagram on it um so we're kind of right in the middle now of our like bristol trial and you know there's quite a bit kind of hinging on this to say is it going to work in this sector or do we um you know focus on other sectors so th this is where you know finding the product market fit like does it work well in hospitality does it work for charities um does it work well for schools that kind of thing so we've been trying it out in different places. Out of curiosity, and I have to ask, why Bristol and not Milton Keynes? Um, partly because of their kind of the independent food scene and that they're all quite closely um, in, in close proximity, which makes it a bit easier to kind of um, carpet bomb it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, in my mind probably if it goes well in bristol i think we'll come back closer to home so that we can get involved I, what what we found with this one particularly is actually speaking to people makes a massive difference um and just trying to do it all on email you know it gets lost in the in the flood of emails that we all get and having it closer to home would have made it easier um yeah i so i don't have a straight answer for you ollie on that one i'm afraid <laughs> I decided to ask, you know, it was a, it was a burning question. <laughs> yeah, part of it's probably a bit of laziness as well on my part in that we looked for a digital agency. So uh, my wife is a sign painter and she's part of a group called The Coven, which is like women founders and, and that kind of thing. And uh, there's, so there's loads of really great independent uh, businesses run by women. And uh, I was quite keen to to use one of those. And actually, one of the one of the ones who came back with a really great proposal for us was was this company in Bristol. Amazing, cool. So let's have a chat about your your other apps that you've kind of worked on. Mm. Uh, you know, as well as Two T, you, you've worked with uh, a few health and med tech apps. Yeah, obviously, with COVID hitting last year, the main projects that we were working on at the time, um, one of them was the telemedicine platform for doing video calls with a doctor. Um, and the other one was for doing contactless car hire where you, you could rent a car without having to talk to anybody or, or get face to face with anybody. So, you know, last year, um, all the lockdowns happened and COVID hit and it was kind of go time for both of these apps. So we were incredibly busy last year trying to get these things going. The, the, the telemedicine one 
was actually for a company that started in Milton Keynes. Um, and we built a proof of concept for them where it was a phone app to do a video call with um, uh, a GP. And then we built a back end system for it, for like a doctor's end, where they could take notes and create a, an electronic medical record of that patient, aimed at um, private appointments. Um, so we built this proof of concept for them to, to kind of test the market and see whether there is something there, like in a really structured way as well. So we, we really built this in like a lean startup methodology of you know, stripping it right back to uh, what's the minimum that we can do to offer safe clinical calls with patients and get the most information out of it. Now, the, the longer game of this was that there's going to be an AI built off the back of it that will learn from from the calls and hopefully be able to diagnose things in advance as well. So, you know, you'd answer a number of questions when you're creating your appointment. And ideally, um, the AI is learning what you're answering and then what the doctor diagnoses. Um, so it could in, in time produce a diagnosis for you, or, or at least recommend a diagnosis to the doctor as they start the call. Um, so we built this platform. Um, it went through a number of guises and like some crazy uh, other bolt-ons to it, like um, wearables as well. Like we did, we did quite a bit of work with a company called Hexaskin, which is a Canadian company um, that produces this vest that's that's like full of sensors and records all of your heart rate and your breathing rate and temperature and um, all of that stuff. And what we were trying to do was like. Um, in real time, report that data back into the app. So it was aimed at people recovering from a heart attack to be able, to, so the doctor could get on a call with them. They're wearing this vest, um, and it can, you know, report data back to them about um, their their health at that time. Um, so we did lo loads of like cool integrations with it, and then they they were they, effectively they were looking for a home for this product, and um, the, the, the the kind of first big client that came on board was Lloyd's Pharmacy. Um, so, and they're owned by McKesson, which I think is like the fifth biggest company in the world or something, something crazy. Um, so we worked with them um, and helped them to scale up at that point to, you know, start building in their own development teams and integrating with Lloyd's to do um, authentication and uh, 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 creating prescriptions and getting prescriptions to your door uh, the next day. So that, that app's out there. It's in the wild. That's um, the Lloyd's Video GP app. A um, few bumps along the road, but it's, um, you know, it's out there and it's, it's doing okay. It's a subscription model. So like rather than it being a one-off payment, you I think you pay, you know, a monthly subscription, but then you get unlimited video calls with a doctor. Unli I think it's unlimited prescriptions as well. So actually, if you, if you have a lot of prescriptions, it's a very good deal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess coming on generally, um, on the whole, over the I guess maybe it's changed over the years, but do you find you work with many organisations in Milton Keynes uh, or, or the local area or generally further afield? It's really interesting because, like, we used to go after kind of website design Milton Keynes and keywords like that and used to get, you know, a fair bit of, uh, a fair few inquiries on that along those lines. Now, about three years ago, four years ago, we kind of made a conscious decision that we wanted to kind of move out of that market, Part, partly because it's become a bit of a race to the bottom for your standard website, has it? You know, the likes of Squarespace and Wix and, you know, WordPress themes, you can get a fairly good-looking website, 
for, for basically no money. And it, it, it just decimated that kind of website design market completely. And it just became, you know, more congested as well because the barriers to entry are so low, aren't they? Like, it's quite hard for an agency or a smallish agency to compete with just one person working out of their bedroom, or it, it was back then. So we, we kind of moved more to be doing software development and apps and like integrations and that kind of stuff. And we found that it, uh, you know, it's harder to get work for sure. Um, and the, pro the projects are bigger and take longer and they take longer to fire up. We've had less from Milton Keynes, I would say, based on that. I don't know what it's like for other like web design type agencies in the area. I don't know how they're finding it, but it, uh, it you know it's definitely impacted the market, hasn't it? Those sorts of things like Squarespace. And I quite often recommend to people like if I if I talk to startups and stuff, and I'll say just build it on Squarespace to start with and like prove it out first, or you know get a WordPress theme and WooCommerce or something, start selling some things, and then then have something bespoke made when you really need it. Yeah, I recommended a small, old oh, small client to to start using that instead now as well myself the other days. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, you know, self-hosted e-commerce platforms. You know, they're really labour-intensive, aren't they? And they they're expensive to run. And actually, like yeah. the Shopify site, it's re it's really hard to beat it. And actually, it's coming full circle now, where we're seeing we we had we were in long discussions last year with um a company about. Um, who does a subscription food service that uses Shopify, and they've got some plugin to Shopify to manage their subscription model. Um, and they were going out for funding for another round, and then they realised they basically don't own any of the IP of this thing. Um, and uh, that obviously presented them with a few issues that this person who built this plugin had them a bit and could cut them off at any point. So we were in really long, protracted discussions about building out a, a bespoke subscription model for them. But then they got acquired anyway, so I think it kind of dropped off the radar a bit because they've got the money by that point. But um, So, yeah, it's coming full circle, I think, where now we're seeing quite a few scenarios where people are using, like, a Magento or a Shopify or these kind of e-commerce engines as a back-end and then building, like, bespoke React front-ends. So that's something we're really interested in because we've got quite good React um, skills in our team. And that's really interesting, like, you know, working with headless CMSs and headless um, backends to be able to build bespoke front ends that are still really fast and don't have all the overheads of all the guff that comes with a Shopify front end. Um, so that's something that we're, we're looking more and more into at the minute. It's quite interesting because I've seen a few agencies pop up that are specifically focusing on, you know, some of these platforms like Shopify and Webflow even, you know, that mm. are no-code tools designed for kind of the end consumer, but have that um, still have a, an opportunity for developers to build on top of them or, you know, add that extra front-end requirement and, and, and apps. Um, so, yeah, it's not like it's not like these tools have completely decimated um, mm. our kind of the market responding to them, really. Yeah. And, mm. it's, it's, it's very interesting, actually. We've, we've had a few conversations with people who've got Shopify uh, shops that are putting millions of pounds through it and then the penny kind of drops that they, they don't own any of this stuff and that Shopify can just ramp up costs if they want to and it's at that point when they start to think oh maybe we need a, a contingency or you know we need another another plan in place just in case it doesn't work with Shopify or they do something we don't like that we don't have control over and um, that 
that's quite an interesting area as well, I think. Um, I don't know how that will play, play out, but that is interesting. It is interesting that so many companies now, you know, your reliance on so many of these different platforms, you know, a huge fragmented set mm -hmm. of, of dependencies almost, um, that I only, t I mean, ads is a great example, you know, Facebook mm -hmm. ads and, and their algorithm changing, you know, that completely turns all these experts into people who have to relearn mm -hmm. how to use these tools and, and uh, well, how to deliver the results that they've, you know, previously mm -hmm. promised to, to clients. And um, yeah, it does, every time those kind of things happen, it does remind people. Um, yeah, that, yeah, it's really interesting, like, my wife sees this on a on a scale with her business that her lots of her sales come through Instagram, and she's been working on trying to build her brand outside of Instagram because, um, you know, if you if you stop appearing in their their algorithms, then you know it it puts a dent in your sales, and it's uh, you need other other avenues, don't you, to do that? But it's so bizarre a lot of these things, isn't it, with with the algorithms? Like why you suddenly start seeing this stuff, like. When Instagram introduced the Reels, you suddenly start seeing this stuff that you've never searched for before on Instagram, and it's like I don't know if they're just probing to see whether it piques your interest, which probably is, you know, like all the these outfit things where people like snap their fingers and they're in a different outfit and stuff, and you're like, why am I seeing this stuff? But how addictive, and you end up watching it, and then <laughs> it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, talk, talk, coming back to some of the things you've been you've been done in the past and 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 what you're working on, you know, what would you see the future is for for Method and Class and you know your focus down the line as well? Good question. Um, like the product thing, I still would love us to to develop a product of our own. Um, we've got we've got the TT thing going at the minute, and there's another product we're working on as well, which I can't really talk about too much at the minute, um, which follows on a bit. Um, with some of the work we've done with other client um, services as well, um, uh, but like I don't know, coming coming out of the lockdowns and COVID, and you, you know, you've only got to see the impact of like not flying stuff around the world, you know, flying prawns around the world to be peeled and then flown back again, and how that's impacting the environment by um, the slowdown of all of this stuff. I, I'm really keen for us to get involved in more like sustainability type projects and, um, you know, people buying stuff locally and sharing as well, I think is a big thing. And this is part of this project that I, I can't really talk about is, you know, around sharing assets more rather than buying more, more, more. Like we don't, we, you know, you've only got to think about, and I'm guilty of this, buying stuff on Amazon that, you know, has been shipped halfway around the world and then you never use it and it sits in a drawer and the, the, the footprint of that thing like we've all there's got to be a point hasn't there where, where this stops and it uh, so i'm really keen for us to get involved in stuff like that like sustainability projects um health tech stuff i'm really interested in and um how you can bring all these things together um uh mobility as well you know e even though i'm i would probably describe myself as a petrol head i recognize that you, there's an overhead and a footprint to all this stuff. And yeah, it's fine to have um, something that you enjoy at a weekend, but your day-to-day -day thing probably should be low carbon electric or shared or, you know, like we, we've talked a bit, haven't we, about some of the things in Milton Keynes about shared usage of um, mobility solutions and 
that sort of thing. And I, you know, I'm really keen to get involved in those types of projects. And we've got like really amazing firsthand experience of that sort of thing and like shared usage of vehicles and stuff. So um, I, I'm keen to explore all that more as well. But uh, you know, it's quite hard to find some of these opportunities to work with people because they're, they're all take significant investment, don't they, to get off the ground? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, actually, because we as a team internally, when we were thinking about hackathons and uh, sustainability and sustainability from from um, mm. last month, um, one of the things that I mentioned that's been in the back of my mind is um, is uh, garden products like lawnmowers, chainsaws, all these kind of things that mm. in a lawnmower you might use more often, but chainsaws or anything that you might need like that. Mm having a community shed almost that you can use within a within a um, development or um, a community would be ideal for those kind of items that you might need once a year yep. um, and and that's a you know a perfect opportunity to share share those kind of things even a ladder you know storing a ladder can be difficult if you don't have a garage and that um, you know that'd be another good example of you know it's really interesting that you say that because we have a, a whatsapp group for our street and you see this stuff happening on a small scale in the WhatsApp group. It's like, oh, has anyone got any shears or, you know, like a long ladder? And like, it's really good to see that. And it'd be great to see that on a bigger scale of, you know, actually like formalizing it all maybe a bit as well. Yeah. Well, that, and that's that's actually another interesting point because that was something that Tessa Clark of, of Olio brought up that, you know, using Facebook as a point of research is is a great place to start to just ask a community of people who are passionate about what you're doing to get a really sort you know a good signal from from that kind of questionnaire or something but it's also just to identify opportunities mm -hmm. um the flip side of that is those communities on facebook become your competitor they you know the the low friction the platform that everybody uses the engagement you've got to compete for that on whatever you're doing and it's finding that nice little balance i guess where those things where you build a, a a product a bit like the the product you were talking about that's not uh, the instagram one that you were talking about you know it's not no, no, yeah. entirely separate there's there's an area of integration that you need to kind of capture yeah. and like you say formalize it um i'm a big believer of uh not building stuff if you don't have to and utilizing tools that people already have like yeah. i love i love whatsapp for that like you know i've been doing these sanding board sessions where people you know we they come to me with an idea or we talk about various digital things, but some of them are like app ideas. And I had a, a really interesting one with a, a woman who ran a beauticians um, and she'd got a particular, I won't give her idea away, but she'd got a particular part of her job that impacts her hugely and loses her money regularly. Um, and uh, she's got an idea for an app that could be developed to help alleviate it in a local like community. And, Obviously, with app development, it's expensive. But um, my, my feedback to her was, you know, use WhatsApp first to just test this market out. And you could have a WhatsApp group for the beauticians and one for other you know, members of the public and just see whether it works using a tool like WhatsApp because everyone's got it. It's, it's so familiar to people. Um, it's a great, great tool for just probing to say, is, is this going to work? Like, can I get a bit of traction? And Facebook's the same, isn't it? You can... You know, set stuff up in Facebook and just start to, to uh, find a market for it before you invest heavily in, in actually building something of your own. 
hundred percent. And that's actually just really good for any anyone who is listening to this, who's thinking about starting a business. You know, mm. it is very easy to think I need an app and it's, you know, you go, you go straight to the top rather than thinking mm. about, you know, some of those kind of more lean mm. methodologies um, that, you know, we might be more familiar with in the tech industry and certainly in the startup space. Um, all these little opportunities like, uh, you know, design sprints and anything else that you can apply to get quick answers um, mm. to some of the questions and test, indeed, just test the market and test the problem. I mean, you know, I've I've fallen foul personally when you actually it's, it's when you have the ability to build these things. Often you don't do that work. It, you know, you you go off your intuition or your your past experiences to to build something that you believe is a problem without properly testing it. Um, so yeah, that some maybe the naivety and the and not having those tools at your disposal is, you know, forces you to try and do these things. But yeah, so okay, so we said you know Facebook's a great platform to to test things. WhatsApp's a great. Um, platform to test things are there are there any other things that you generally find yourself recommending yeah, do you know uh, I, I had another like a sounding board session with a guy who uh, ran a plumbers in Milton Keynes actually and he'd got an idea for uh, building a platform based around like choosing a boiler um, and again I won't give away his idea because that'd be unfair um, but there is like there's people in the market that are dominating that sector and he wanted to do it on like a more local level so we talked to him about it, and like Amanda, my um, ops director, she's very good as well at like lean principles and getting people to do the minimum. Um, so uh, we talked to him about this, and like what we said was just set up a really simple site, like WordPress theme or something, run some Google ads, and just see, like get it in the market, and and see, because that's the, you know that's the great thing, isn't it, about Google ads? You can just pay your way to the top for a short period of time see if it works, if it doesn't, bail out. And actually, Google themselves are, are really good at engaging with you and helping you to tune your ads as well. Mm. So like we've been running some earlier this year, and you know you can get on a call with one of their reps who will walk you through the process of making sure that you're not paying for keywords that are irrelevant or from regions that are irrelevant. Um, so it's a really good way of getting you know, within two weeks, you'll know whether you're you're going to get anywhere with it or not, and then you can make a decision at that point. To uh, yeah, absolutely. So these be this is essentially building a landing page, isn't it? Is you're not building the product. You're saying here's you could make it look like the product exists and it's coming soon or it's pre-ordering. It's almost like Kickstarter, but um, yeah. just your own dedicated one. You just build a landing page for it, yeah. um, and 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 then capture email addresses or some kind of call to action to indicate whether there's demand for that for that yeah like that squarespace is another good way to do that isn't it and you could you know for 12 pounds a month or whatever it is fire up a squarespace site but you can choose a theme and populate yourself go to somewhere like unsplash and get some stock photography that doesn't look too cheesy and you're away aren't you at that point you can test the market in next to no time and make some make some decisions based on data as well, then, because you, you'll be able to see how much traffic you're driving in and how many are actually registering, and just tune it and start changing your messaging and that kind of thing. So you know, there, there's so many great tools, isn't there, for doing this sort of stuff? Yeah. You don't have to build it initially. Totally, and certainly, if you've managed to 
do that successfully and get, you know, a thousand, three thousand email addresses, that is a good signal that there's demand for a product, you know, and, and that what you're offering is solving a real problem. Um, mm. Again, another thing that is easily, easily missed by a lot of startups is, is, you know, it depends how you approach that, that problem and what it needs. But as you say, Google ads is, a, you know, Facebook ads are a great place to start. Mm. Yeah, actually, like Facebook ads, generally, I find they're quite a bit cheaper. Mm. Uh, admittedly, I haven't used them for a little while, but when I've looked at them before, they, the cost of it is a lot cheaper than running Google ads, which, you know, that can get out of hand quite quickly as well, can't it? You can, yeah. yeah. I, I remember years ago, we did some work for a dentist, and he was spending £20,000 a month on Google ads. And I was, I was querying him on it. He said, well, like, it brings in enough to cover the cost just because it was like, you know, teeth whitening and stuff like that. And you just think, wow, you know, that's a massive amount of money, isn't it, every month to be paying Google. But, um, yeah. It, uh, yeah, and, and I guess once once these things scale, I mean, you always have to start with a bit of initial investment in these ads. Um, mm. I'm not sure what the kind of minimum recommended investment is to actually yield results. And I don't know whether you're familiar on that. I don't know. I, like, like, I think, you know, £10 a day you can get results from and you just, like, get it running maybe you start with a bigger amount but get it running and then tune the keywords that that you're um, using um and actually you can get it to a point where it's fairly sustainable without breaking the bank and some of it's just visibility isn't it mm. like, um yeah and it's a good way to get to the top quickly which you know is always yeah. useful <laughs> just going back to the um sounding board session so how, how often do you like run these so I've been doing these on LinkedIn primarily. Like, you know, can you, can you just clarify what the sounding board session is? Yeah. So I've I've been I've been basically trying to work out how to use LinkedIn for business development, and um, uh, part of that is I've been running these things called sounding board sessions, which is a, just a term I made up basically, um, which are half an hour kind of chats with people about varying topics. So I've started doing them on you know, you've got an idea for an app, what do you do next? And this is where we've had these conversations about things like using WhatsApp instead to start with. Or it could be about, you know, platforms and portals and data and, you know, how are you reporting back to your customers on activity and, uh, you know, varying topics really about how you use technology for to improve your business. Um, so I've got some running next week for website booking funnels and how do you optimize those and how are you you know exploring how you're using it and get, basically giving some free advice to people to say this is how you can improve it and make make it work better for you so effectively it's it's 30 minutes of free consultancy to people to um uh give them some advice on what to do next and um it uh it's gone quite well so far if nothing else i found it really useful for me to make me feel relevant <laughs> like, <laughs> Running, running a small agency now. Like I'm, like uh, a colleague that I worked with on another project. She termed it post dev. So like I used to be a developer. I used to be a bit of a designer. I'm, I'm like none of it now. Um, and uh, you start looking at your your career, don't you? At this point, and you're like, well, actually, what what do I do? <laughs> and um, uh, so I found it really beneficial for me, if nothing else, to to prove to myself I've still got relevancy. <laughs> like, you know, I look at development now, it's so complicated. And I, when I started out, you were everything, weren't you? Designer, designer, developer, 
content person. And actually now I, I, I struggle to see how you could do it on your own, potentially, particularly development, you know, gone are the days where you worked locally on a, on your machine and then FTP'd it up and it's just like build tools and uh, it's just so complicated now. And like, you can't know it all, I don't think. Like, it, it seems like there's a widening distinction between front-end developers and back-end developers and, like... And everything in between. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really, it's just such a different world to what it was. I sound like such an old man, but it's true, isn't it? It's, like, it's totally a different world. Yeah, and 100%. And and I think, you know, that can be quite daunting for... I mean, I... I um, I relate to everything you just said there because, you know, starting as almost a designer developer and then running businesses and, and the strategy becomes the more important focus of, mm. and you start to leave those things behind and you might leave those things behind for a little bit, but then, you know, as this industry speeds up, you're increasingly out of touch with it and, and, and keeping on top of it becomes difficult. And I think that's easy for everyone to say now in this industry, you can fall out of touch you know, once you find the the platform or the framework that you like, you you don't look at anything else for a while whilst you focus on that, and then you have to kind of keep in touch with all those things. And it is difficult, and I think it becomes a barrier for people to um, to really commit to any of these things. And mm. and um, but actually, you know, we've often found is like if you just go back to basics and just build something, you know put something out there and build it in whatever you want, use whatever tools you want. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it does what it says on the tin, you know, it, and, it, and it works. Um, or indeed it doesn't even have to work anymore. You just need a landing page to say it works. Yeah. That will get, get you the traction. Like, you know, <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? Like yeah. you think about how complex it is now to build a site, the output is HTML. And CSS. Yeah. It's the yeah. same as it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, but how you get there is so so much more convoluted now, and it's like I don't know. I look back on that probably a bit rose tinted now at the simplicity of it all. And you know, you started out in Notepad, and like <laughs> yeah, it, and it seems like everything changes so quickly. Like the pre-processing tooling changes, and that was flavor of the month. And now, oh, nobody uses that anymore. We all use this, and it's like you just can't keep up with it with the. Mm. Um, with the and I think, I think smaller projects you can over-engineer as a result of that yeah. as well. A hundred percent, yeah. Like some stuff, you know, you're building deploy pipelines for a simple website, and you're like, why? Why are we doing this? Like, the, the end user doesn't care. Yeah, and you're like, no one cares other than like it becomes a vanity project for developers yeah. to say, oh, I've got full CI pipeline on this thing. You're like, well, it's a five-page website. I think we're probably killing it a bit here. <laughs> So, like, going back to your point, Ollie, like, sometimes it's an act of restraint on some of these projects. Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should do this. And I think it's the same with, like, particularly an internal project, that showing restraint that you don't have to do it all. Like, mm -hmm. let's just start small with it and just see whether it's going to work before you commit fully to it. Yeah, and then that's often the case when... You know, clients also come in with those those same kind of things. I mean, you know, back in the day, I don't know whether it still exists or now, but people come in saying, "I need an app." You know, mm. it's like, "Well, do you need an app?" You might want an app because it's the cool thing now, but is that what you need to to achieve your your goal or objective? And um, you know, I think I think you see that so much in our industry. It's whatever's shiny, 
you know, whatever's hot. I mean, it, it's the same in, you know, the tech startup world. It's you have these words, buzzwords that come about and then every product you look at has this buzzword in it, um, whether it actually uses it or not to some extent. Yeah. AI, AI, machine learning, just throw yeah. that in there for the mix. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Yeah, sub that I out. I a website company and it said every website we build has an AI and artificial intelligence in it and machine learning or something. I was like, really? Every website? That's got to be, that's got to be a fabrication, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And these were like WordPress sites and stuff as well. And you're like, like I genuinely, in, unless there's some kind of AI built into WordPress that I don't know about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's just like so many people sub the word algorithm out for it now. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's much yeah. sexier, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to finish off then with the final question? And your journey so far, any other insights or epiphanies? Um, I don't know. I always think like niche stuff does well on the internet. Like a broad brush doesn't always get you a good audience on the internet, particularly if you're like thinking of developing your own thing or product or service or whatever, like niche really works well. I think, you know, I, I had some advice years ago from, do you remember Paul Boag? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I did, he did these like um, consulting sessions and I, I had a chat with him when we were doing a lot of school websites and he was like, oh, you should, you should just focus on that market. And I should have taken his advice probably back then, but didn't. Um, uh, but I think that's probably true is like actually focusing on a sector, like be, be the, um, the go-to person for the construction industry or whatever, like choose, choose something you're into or knowledgeable about mm -hmm. and become that. The, the owner of that space that's always good i think it's difficult with the technology stack as well isn't it like what where do you focus it uh i'll tell you what like recently i've found is um i've been working with uh, uh another company on moving into different sectors and like they really focus on salesforce so that makes finding business much easier because they can just go to linkedin and look for companies that have a salesforce person in-house and just target them whereas you know the likes of what we do where we're like building bespoke software where do you go looking for these people it's, it's it's really hard and i think that you know outside of the web industry maybe but like being being the go-to person on a particular piece of software you know may, maybe it is the web industry or maybe it's you say i'm going to be a shopify theme designer and theme house and maybe that's maybe that's what you should do but that, that, that seems to make it quite a bit easier, I think, to find work, being really specialist in those sorts of things. Maybe that maybe that'd be gleaned from your soundboarding sessions as well, where you have kind of, you know, um, like that knowledge that's captured in sectors of various different in industries, and you can just bring the tech, you know, technical mm. know-how, and it's that, mm. that marriage of that, you know, specialist niche knowledge with technical know-how that will ultimately result in a in a good product but i guess somewhere in the middle of that is the investment piece you know is like who's going to put the the money in to actually build it or or see it through yeah i think there's probably a disconnect between you know someone's got an idea for an app and they we quite often get these sorts of inquiries where they say i've got an idea for an app and i think the assumption is that we're going to build it for free and like do an equity split or something with them or that they'll own it and we own a small part of it or something you're like you know this is it's a massive amount of work to build these things and to build good apps that look great 
is a, is a huge difference to like getting you know somebody who knows a bit of app development to throw something together and um like I always, I always think building software the best analogy is actually the construction industry it's like someone coming to you saying i want you to build me a house you know mm. it could easily cost the same amount of money as well um, yeah. <laughs> yeah and and yeah i mean that's just not that's not how the world works unfortunately no. <laughs> it doesn't make any financial sense to do that um and take such a big you know financial risk on on your part yeah like we're really reluctant to, to go into partnerships just just because you know we've done it before and quite often it comes down to marketing these things like we can build the app but you've got to find the audience for it and that is expensive and takes a lot of time and expertise i think as well um so it uh we, we're fairly hesitant to do these sorts of things like we have done it in the past um and you know that's worked out okay um but it uh you need the right team in place don't you to make these things fly well it's a common fallacy isn't it build it and they will come and you realize after building several things and nobody coming that that's not the case <laughs> yeah i've done it you know I, i've made loads of mistakes in my time with this stuff and it you know i'm still still trying to find the right product for us that we can all move on to but you know you need to you need a fair amount of churn don't you want a product for it to support a team of developers yeah you, know, you see this with massive massive apps that get funded that are not making money after have having you know millions or billions of pounds pumped in they're still not making any money out of it like that's got to end at some point hasn't it so mm -hmm. it's 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 finding that that good model that works and is sustainable you know i think coming back to what we we're talking about earlier like sustainability in business is is such a key thing that i think probably gets washed over particularly in the tech industry doesn't it 100 percent. yeah so uh finally uh what excites you about the year ahead personally and professionally uh, being able to go out <laughs> um uh i found this this lockdown in the over the winter was pretty horrendous you know um having uh no respite as well you know kids at home and all the rest of it and and trying to navigate through that and um, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the world opening up now and hopefully loads of opportunities arising in it. But like I said earlier, I, I really hope that coming out of this, we as communities can start to think more about working together and being sustainable and, and not just placing our orders on Amazon, which you know we all do, but trying to limit that as much as possible. And um, I think there's real opportunity in there for, for that as well. And particularly around local community projects, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to see what's happening with Milton Keynes, and like you've got, you've got to admire Milton Keynes as a community that looks forward on these things and trials out different stuff. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're in other cities, but the little um, starship bots and things that that cruise around, like you know, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff, and that, they, there's so many things, isn't there, that can impact people's lives with these uh, opportunities for tech. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that all pans out and hopefully we can get involved in some of these projects as well and, um, and help to push all that stuff forwards. Thanks for listening to this episode of Founders and Creators, brought to you by Protospace. To find out more about this podcast and our initiative, visit protospace.uk.